Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Always have that, that extra buffer, cash buffer, just to make sure you can yeah, find anything else that may come through. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with the acquisition manager, Liam Kamadi. He'll share how his background in engineering has aided his property investment career, proving that it's never too late to follow your passion. As well as this, learn the value of working with others, taking care of tenants and much, much more. Kamadi was a chartered civil engineer for almost a decade but after some self-reflection, he decided to jump careers and follow his passion. I'm a uh, qualified buyer's agent now, uh, working uh, sourcing commercial and residential property um, all over Australia so that's been a, yeah, like a long-term um, yeah, personal passion of mine. I've done it myself uh, investing so now I've sort of gone out and yeah, decided to help out other people doing um, similar to what I've done and helping them to yeah, achieve financial freedom and passive income through property. His experience in engineering is a big asset and helps him in his day-to-day life. Yeah, so my days um, are quite structured really. Being an engineer, I'm quite analytical so I just need, need routine. So um, normally I'm up early at the gym by 5am. Um, then I like to be back home by sort of 6.30 uh, which is when my wife and, and son tend to wake up and then can help them get ready in the morning. Um, yeah, have breakfast and uh, try and get them at the door by, by sort of 7.30ish and then I normally spend the early part of my day on like some personal development stuff so whether it be uh, like education through like uh, doing some property development courses at the moment, um, just journaling, reading books on whether it's a property book or uh, like personal growth books um, and then by 9am I sit down, go through our list of our clients on the books right now that have uh, got properties under contract and then I'll work through uh, that list of ones that are urgent uh, with you know queries on financing, due diligence, building and pest inspections for example and helping them with settlement uh, and once on top of that I'll then move on to sourcing properties, speaking with um, real estate agents across Australia, um, you know, person a bit behind so I tend to do that in the afternoon with the time difference there, but um, yeah, just, just speaking to agents, sourcing um, off-market listings, on-market listings, just speaking to them, negotiating, arranging contracts. Uh, and then from there in the afternoon, I'll uh, normally spend my time sourcing new leads, uh, speaking with potential clients, uh, helping out social media team with new content. Uh, then, yeah, afternoon, my wife gets home by about sort of four o'clock, so then I'm back on uh, dad duty helping out with, um, yeah, just, you know, getting dinner ready and um, just, yeah, having, or just playing with my son, really. Uh, and then evening, 
yeah, it'll sort of just depend on how the day goes, really, whether I spend a few more hours uh, just tidying up any loose ends from work and then speaking with friends and family or just relaxing on the couch with the wife and watching Netflix or depending how the day goes, really. Kamadi's typical day is packed with activities similar to when he was growing up. Yep, I grew up in a, a small town called Yass, uh, which is near Canberra. So, yeah, lived quite a uh, like a busy lifestyle when I was a, um, with a, a kid, played a lot of sport. So I've got two younger brothers. Uh, so I played everything you can think of really from like rugby, cricket, golf. Uh, I did a lot of swimming too when I was younger. Uh, so we did a lot of travel. Our weekends were, yeah, like a lot of travel in the car going, you know, three, four hours away to, you know, whether it was for rugby, cricket, um, swimming events. Yeah, we spent a lot of time traveling. So we are, particularly in summer, we're quite busy. Um, but yeah, we're quite, quite competitive. My brothers and I, as we grew up, so um, me being the oldest, probably the maybe more competitive than anything, couldn't couldn't lose to my younger brothers. So, Kamadi and his brothers enjoy their time together, particularly on the weekends. Yeah, like we all uh, play golf together on the weekends, so which gave mum a break every weekend, which was nice for her. So we'd always go out, whether it's on a Saturday or Sunday, and we play eighteen holes, which would take you know sort of four or five hours, which would give mum a bit of free time and get us three boys out of the house with dad so uh, it was just good bonding time for us and yeah like we're quite quite competitive too which was yeah it's always a lot of banter on the golf course too which is which is fun yes is a small country town but for commodity and his family it suited their lives very well yeah it's one of those towns where people always especially if you're driving from sydney to melbourne everyone yeah drives well around yash you never go through yas anymore but uh, and that was a good lifestyle for us. Like we, um, yeah, my, my dad was actually the mayor of Yass at one point. So we were, um, yeah, sort of quite well known, I guess, as young kids growing up. Everyone sort of knew who we were and we were quite involved um, in like a lot of the community type stuff there. So, which was good. Like we, we enjoyed it and yeah, like got involved in all of the like, you know, rugby committees and we used to, well, mum used to run the canteen at rugby too and used to score uh, cricket when we were playing cricket so she was always involved in, in one way or another so uh, and it was a good community spirit like it's one of those sort of smaller country towns where everyone knows each other and you walk down the street and you know people know who you are and you say hello and which is a good way to grow up I think um, whereas yeah sort of nowadays when you're in, in cities for example like everyone's got a quiet you know just headphones in very focused on themselves and you don't sort of have that much anymore. From a young age, he displayed signs of success at school. We went to a uh, like a private school, Catholic school in Yas called Mount Carmel. Um, yeah, like a smaller school, like we only had one year group every year. Um, but yeah, like probably yeah, 20, 30 kids in the in the class, I guess. Um, but yeah, like we were quite close with all of our friends um, growing up, and yeah, like all all played sport together. And I was also quite academic at school, so particularly with maths, just sort of one of those things where I just picked it up quite quickly. Um, I was also the school captain back when I was in at Yass too. So sort of thinking back about it now, like I probably didn't realise it at the time, but I was sort of like a natural leader to a degree. Like I remember when all the you know sports I played, whether it was rugby or cricket, I was always the captain of the teams or even like rugby, I used to kick, kick goals. And so I was, yeah, I didn't probably – yeah, realise at the time, but it was just sort of a natural thing that I just went to, yeah, just, yeah, whether it was be the captain of the team or, or kicking goals, I sort of liked that 
that pressure as well. Um, but yeah, so also just academically, I yeah quite enjoyed maths and did a, a language at school too. So I uh, started studying Japanese as a language in around year seven, I think it was, and just picked it up quite quickly. I'm not sure why, to be honest, but um, but just enjoyed it from from the start and. Um, it's probably like a bit more like mathematical too sometimes when you're like when you're reading a language and like Japanese it's quite structured too well I quite enjoyed that part of it as well um, but yeah then in year 10 so got to the point uh, like yeah Mount Carmel only goes to year 10 uh, so like year 11 and 12 we had to sort of make a decision as to where we'd go to school to finish off so mum and dad made a, a bit of a sacrifice uh, like financially for us and uh, we went to a a uh, big private boys' school in, in Canberra uh, called Marist. So I went there in year 10 uh, and that was a, like for me, like I'm a, a natural introvert, so it was quite a bit of a, a shock for me to to go from being like the, the big fish in the small pond to being the little fish in the big pond. So it took me quite a while to settle into that that change um, at Marist and but use like yeah, like what I was sort of naturally good at, I guess, like with sport to, to make friends and, and academically too with um, with maths and made a, yeah, quite a few good friends, which I'm still friends with today. Although there was a social shock that hit Carmody when he changed scores, another big challenge he faced was the commute. Yes, to Canberra's not a, you know, short distance. So I used to um, get the bus quite early in the morning used to have to wake up and we're on the bus at 6.30 a.m. every day to go to school. And there wasn't even a bus that used to, it wasn't even a school bus that used to run um, from Yas to Canberra. So we have to, we have to catch the, the workers' bus. So people used to catch the bus to go to work in Canberra every day. And we were, there was three school kids, me and my two brothers. And eventually there was a few more, a few more kids that, um, yeah, decided to or, or send their um, kids to, to school in Canberra later on but yeah we were sort of one of the earlier ones to do that and just remember every morning we'd be on the bus at yeah 6 30 a.m and they'd sort of do the big tour around canberra dropping off everyone at the the local employment areas to to go to work each day and then we'd be the last sort of drop off just about um in uh, woden in the other side of canberra there so got to school at about sort of eight o'clock every day and then in the afternoons we yeah get the bus back again but if we had rugby training for example we'd wouldn't get the bus back and wouldn't be home until 6.30 p.m. every day. So it's quite a long day when you're, yeah, sort of 15, 16. And, um, but no, it was a, definitely a, like, a, it worked out longer term for us, um, making that that sacrifice more parents anyway, and then uh, going to, a, like, a, a better quality school, really. Um, yeah, like, it pushed, well, personally, it pushed me further with education and sport because I wasn't, like I wasn't sort of as content sort of being, you know, like the one of the better players in rugby, for example, or with it with maths. I was always sort of one of the smarter ones in the class. But then you go to a bigger school in Maris and you sort of realise that, you know, you're not as not as good as you thought you were, which is probably a, a good thing for me. And then, you know, there's people there that, yeah, were a lot smarter and better than at rugby than I was. So I sort of took a step back and then it, like it probably made me better as well. Um, so, yeah, like I... Remember, I was yeah, 17. I'm uh, quite focused on rugby back at the back in. I think it was year 11, but um, I did my ACL playing rugby. Uh, or doing pre-season training actually, so that sort of put me out of action for the last year of um, rugby. So I didn't play sport at all that last year. So 
so year 12 for me was just basically just all just focusing on education which was probably a you know longer term and you know looking towards uni shortly after probably worked out better for me in the long term so focusing on his education year 12 allowed him to study at university which yeah eventually got me into uh study civil engineering at the university of wollongong and um also took on so i did continue my japanese studies um yeah beyond school as well so i did like a diploma of languages at the at uni too so which actually that was quite good i um to be honest haven't haven't used the japanese since uni but um it was a good experience for me though like i we went over to uh japan and studied in japan i think around 2010 which was which was quite cool went to uh Senshu university over there and uh, that was a massive eye-opener for me so we um stayed combination between like staying with a host family uh, and then like that was all just yeah like, they were all like fully speaking japanese the whole time and like i was just fully embedded in the culture which was really cool uh so we went over there and like as our yeah like our um university course there was about i think 10 of us that went over and yeah we were just it was quite challenging because even we'd you know go to the university every day and and that was just completely in Japanese. There was no English spoken. It was just pretty full on. But um... trying to adapt to his new environment was a massive hurdle for Kamadi. Yeah, there's there's some things in life that you do are quite daunting, like you know, public speaking, for example. But I um, remember going and we had to do like a final presentation to the university when we were leaving, and it was completely in Japanese, and it would have been yeah, like probably thousand people in the room and. So you've got to go through and talk about your experience in Japan and where you're like what your sort of future holds and that was quite quite daunting. Yeah, and no, I was definitely like you sort of rely on the people around you too, like because they're all in the same same boat. So we had some people that like all different backgrounds as well. Like we had some Chinese students that were learning Japanese and like everyone sort of got different experiences. So you're sort of using them to to guide you through and uh, we had like some teachers there too with us on the exchange that yeah, really helped out just to just to give you that confidence and um, like, you know, we'd go through and we'd sort of write a full speech and you'd just, it was just like, just practice, just continually just sort of going through and um, like I was, yeah, like I've got a, I don't know, my brain's a bit of a sponge sometimes. So I just sort of just used to memorize my whole speech and I'd be able to go through and just sort of just rattle it off. And, um, but no, it was, it was a good experience. Kamadi's ability to speak Japanese helped him with his career and created some unexpected interview moments. Yeah, like I was when I first started applying for jobs, I was looking at. I actually applied for one that um, didn't didn't get when I finished university in a construction company. But um, I remember doing the interview, and without telling me, the the construction company brought in a Japanese person to ask me questions in Japanese, and I was completely unprepared. And like, luckily enough, I didn't lie during the application process. I said, "Oh yeah, I can speak Japanese," and but they brought someone in, and I was actually talking to the guy in Japanese, and which was quite yeah bit of a shock to me at the time but um but yeah didn't get the job eventually um but um but yeah I've got a another job which I yeah did for for quite some time in um yeah civil construction after graduating university Kamadi entered the workforce but why did he want a career in civil engineering uh look I always enjoyed like the math side of things and um I remember I was I mean yeah end of year 10 we had already work experience and one of our close family friends, he's um, a property developer actually, um, based in Canberra. So what he he took me on for I think it was two weeks, and 
he was quite good. So he took me around to just different consultants that he uses, um, whether it be like engineers or town planners. And I um, got to sit down with them for sort of two, three days at a time and just sort of get to experience what they do day in, day out. And like some were sort of quite dry, just like more design-based engineers. And then, you know, like town planners again, like I was sort of just trying to find my way as to what what it suit. And then I remember one day he took me out to one of his projects that he was working on. It was like an apartment project, which had, was very close to, to finishing. And I remember just like walking through the site and he was just showing me what he'd built. And just, I was just amazed by like what he'd personally done and like, I sort of, at the time, I didn't realise it, but I sort of just, that was, it was just like a like a light bulb moment for me to say, this is what I want to do. But I thought at the time that engineering was the way to do it, to get into engineering, to actually build it. Um, so that was sort of what got me into engineering to start with because I wanted to sort of, like, it went a different way completely when I eventually found a job in engineering, but I wanted to do sort of like, you know, high-rise buildings and, and that kind of stuff as a as an engineer. But um didn't end out that way and ended up building roads and bridges and, and wind farms. But, um, but yeah, that was probably the, the key thing uh, when I was a kid. And even there was a, a TV show called Prison Break. I'm not sure if you've ever watched that. Yeah. Yeah, I've watched it a few times now, actually. But even like that, yeah, the main character, Michael Schofield, being a, an engineer too, that was just like everything in that show was how my brain works. <laughs> It was just like very analytical and just like things in your head just all like running around and that's even that show I was like yep that's really cool I want to be an engineer and that was another another reason why I wanted to get into it and um but like yeah going back to the sort of that that yeah the day when I went through with that uh property developer when I was about 16 just going through his projects that was yeah like that that light bulb moment for me as to you know what I really wanted to do. Coming up after the break, we hear why Liam Carmody decided to delve into property investment. Just got the magazine just looking for a distraction and just just read the, the thing from front to back. And He shares details about his first investment property. Yeah, so I um, purchased a uh, off the plan house and land package. We'll hear about one of his biggest lessons that he's learnt. I remember getting a phone call um, from the solicitor saying that the settlement was due tomorrow and that I was 20 grand short. Of funds. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, let's be real. Deals that can yield 20 to 30% per annum do exist. Don't believe me? Well, here's a story about property development I invested in Victoria. This developer had the project fully funded beforehand but he and his family suffered a loss, a circumstance that led him to be unable to proceed with the development. So I stepped in and in two weeks, we funded the shortfall allowing for the development to continue. Five months later, the development was refinanced and we received our funds back with interest. Yes, there are amazing opportunities in the property market like this one. So. Do you want to get a better return with low risk on your money? Then register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. After establishing a career in civil engineering, 
Commodity decided to start investing into property. We'll explore his why behind this. There were some other moments that um, I can think of too where I yeah, like first got into property investing itself. Um, probably the, the API magazine back in the day when that was running. Um, that was probably the first thing that I remember like reading. Um, but I remember that the first time I actually bought the magazine, I was um, in hospital with uh, my mum was um, getting treated for, for cancer. Um, so she's, well, she's can't, or 10 years, she'll be cancer free next year, which is great. Um, but I remember like I, like I couldn't, I didn't know how to deal with the situation, to be honest. Um, so I sort of looked for a distraction and I remember seeing that magazine there and just picked the magazine up because I was just with mum and just, yeah, I didn't know how to sort of be in that situation. So I just got the magazine and just looking for a distraction and just, just read the the thing from front to back and there's something just sort of tweaked in my mind as well, just to like reading through all the different investor stories and different options we can have with investing and it just sort of grew from there. So I um, remember I asked my parents when I was yeah, probably about maybe 19, 20 for my birthday present from then on to, to pay for my subscription for the API magazine. I used to, used to get that um, every month for my birthday or yeah, as my birthday present. So um, from there, I used to, yeah, just read that religiously. And then um, actually, I was looking for my own property back then too. Oh, my first investment, um, well, our, our house we live in now. So I used to go straight to the back of the those magazines and look through all the suburbs that were in the areas I was looking to buy. And I used to make my own spreadsheets and look at like the capital growth and vacancy rates and just to track all of those sort of things and even like a you know, number of listings every month and I'd have a, a massive spreadsheet for I think I had tracked it for about sort of 12 months in the, in the end but like looking back at it now I sort of it was almost like a, another light bulb moment for me too because I was just literally tracking just month by month what the property market's doing and it's just moving like the property market was just going you know up and up and up and up every month and I'm like well why am I just sitting here writing it in a spreadsheet like when I could be <laughs> like actually getting the money from the property instead of just sitting here and <laughs> just watching it grow before me. So, This realization motivated Kamadi to jump into property investment and make his first purchase. I um, purchased a uh, off-the-plan house and land package. That was the first one I ever bought as it was primarily a um, like a long-term buy and hold for us um, but also, yeah, being our first purchase, try to use it to obviously not pay stamp duty being a first home buyer and try to get the first home owner grant as well. So um, use that to my advantage to get into the market as well. And because we, we weren't quite there with the, the deposit, uh, so I decided to try and get into the market earlier and try and just take advantage of that growth that was I thought would come. So it took about, I think, six months for the land to register and then another, yeah, like 14 months from memory um, for the property to to be built and settled. Kamadi and his family still live in this property today. I think we paid uh, like five fifty for it back then and it's probably worth close to a mil now, I'd say. The market's yeah, moved quite a lot around the sort of south coast here, so uh, it's been a good property for us and it's been, yeah, just great to use that as leverage as well to then to get in investing as well, which has helped out. Uh, it'll be a long-term investment property for us. Like we want to hold it. They're actually um, building like a new town centre in this development we're in now. So it's a suburb called Tullumbar. 
which is probably 20 minutes south of Wollongong. Um, there's been like a, a big new road project which has just finished as well. So there's a few a few little indicators of that to me that sort of, um, yeah, made it like a big long-term investment for us. So, um, yeah, we sort of looked at it as a, a good starting point for us to have a family as well because I didn't want to, I was at the time looking at even apartments um, back in the sort of 2015, 2016 time and like just after reading everything I had through API and um, just everything you you know look at on investing, it's like trying not to, yeah, like we'll keep uh, upgrading properties so you're paying obviously money to get in and out all the time. So we sort of pushed ourselves a bit further out um, of Wollongong, for example, and then we went to, yeah, just to buy this house first and foremost and then not have to then, you know, buy an apartment, live there for two years, grow out of it, have to sell that, buy something else. So we sort of sacrificed early on to be a bit further out and not, you know, like being a bit younger too. You want to be, you know, near the bars and, you know, near the nice restaurants and near the beach. But, um, yeah, we sort of made that sacrifice earlier on and, and it's paid off now. Since making this first purchase, Kamadi has continued to build his property portfolio. Uh, it's up to five now. Um, so we've purchased every year just about since then. Um, come to a bit of a standstill the last sort of year and a bit with having our, our son and changing jobs, which makes it a bit hard with finance. So we're sort of just um, just biding time at the minute, but we'll look to yeah reinvest again this year. Um, but yeah, it's... Yeah, been like just a an ongoing thing. We're just trying to yeah, just yeah, continually to sort of push the portfolio to to keep purchasing each year and and try and diversify along the way as well. Throughout his time investing, Kamadi has learned valuable lessons. This began with his first investment. Yeah, like we stretch ourselves quite far to buy the first one, um, but I, I didn't use a broker to start with because I thought I'd yeah been a bit naive. I guess just uh, thought I, I knew what I needed to in in obtaining finance so went to a bank directly and spoke to the yeah the lender at the bank and um got a loan approved went to pay the deposit and then yeah went through uh like when the land was registered had to pay the remainder and then well when it was up to settlement um so i went through and calculated what i thought i needed for like all your legal costs lmi um and all your rest of the funds for settlement and then I remember getting a phone call um, from the solicitor saying that the settlement was due tomorrow and that I was 20 grand short of funds. And at the time, I was just, I couldn't work it out. I was like, hey, I've done all the calculations myself. There's no way I'm short. I was just thought they made an error somewhere, but they hadn't. I yeah, obviously hadn't tracked something through properly, but because um, I didn't use a broker, just went straight with the bank and yeah, thought I knew everything. But um Luckily enough, I remember I had, I had 24 grand in my bank account at the time. Um, I was able to pay it just, um, but that was a massive, just a, a steep learning curve for me really just going on from that point to, well, one, use a broker <laughs> um, to help out and just so they know yeah exactly where you are and they just know exactly how to help out with the finance and um, just to have a buffer in place too, um, just because you never know what might come up with a valuation comes in low, for example, or... Kamadi is still not sure why he was $20,000 short but the property proved to be a worthwhile investment. It might have been the valuation potentially but yeah, it was quite a while ago now. Um, 
but yeah, I was quite lucky that I had the money in there because I remember talking to my parents and I was contemplating asking them for a loan and I didn't want to let go of the cash, but they said, look, you've got the cash there. You've put yourself in the situation you have now. So, so no, I was managed to get along it luckily enough. So, but no, back then if I didn't pay the 20 grand and you know, now this property is more or close to doubled now. So just goes to show you, even if I had to pay 20 grand extra on the purchase price, like it's in the scheme of things now, it's well and truly worth it. So never had any problems servicing it because I, again, like being a, well, an engineer, I thought I had all the spreadsheets in place that would be, you know, like to, you know, project cash flow. Like even through the property when it was getting built, like I had to pay, you know, like all the different stages of the build, whether it was from, you know, frame to, or frab, or slab, or the, the slab to frame and everything else in between. So I had that all tracked through what the loan amount would be at each time. And then I was looking at my cash flow as well to understand how much I'd have in savings at the time. And uh, we actually, we got, we got married, um, very soon after we moved in too. So I had sort of money put away for that as well. So that sort of made it even harder too at the time we were looking to move in. So um, we actually got, we moved into the house and then got married two weeks later, I think from memory. So it was a massive push to try and get the house built because we, um, like my wife's from the UK. So we had to get, we had to move into the house to then get, like all the family over from the UK to come and stay in the new house because at the time we had nowhere for him to stay. <laughs> it was a quite a stressful few weeks. We actually moved in and there was a lot of things were unfinished, like they hadn't finished painting and yeah, there was a lot of things they hadn't sort of completely done so we had to get them back in afterwards. But we just said, well, look, we've got to move in. Just give us give us the keys and we'll um, yeah, work the rest of it out later. So After this investment, Kamadi continued to build his portfolio but this time he used a broker like a broker for one, but also I uh, went to a buyer's agent um, to source my um, investment property. So I, yeah, I like used a broker first to then get uh, money out of my first property to to get equity out to then fund the purchase of the second one. And just just talking with a broker around structuring, and because I was at the time I was well quite ambitious, I guess too, was to wanting to build a big portfolio and just talking about how to properly structure it and to not you know cross collateralize your properties and just having that chat with them on the way through was invaluable really and then just just using a buyer's agent for the sourcing uh, part of it was another yeah like another great learning curve too just to the level of research that you need especially if you're buying in an area where you're you're not familiar with um so that was another great great investment for me and that one is also probably doubled in value as well that was one in tasmania that i bought in launceston uh, back probably yeah 2017 2016 2017 this was at the beginning of Tasmania's boom. Yeah, luckily, I yeah I can go to the buyer's agent, and they they were quite confident in the area. And I had never even thought about buying in Tasmania at the time, but um, just opened your eyes up to you know not looking in your backyard. There's plenty of other areas in Australia to invest in. There's no you know no reason to put all your eggs in one basket, and there's plenty of other you know opportunities across Australia. So. Working with a buyer's agent and a broker helped Kamadi to reach success. It's building a good team around you as well. I think just, you know, whether it's with finance or, you know, sourcing, even like property management too, um, just all, there's, you know, just critical pieces that you need to sort of put together early days to just to make sure the assets looking after itself really because there's nothing worse than buying a, a dud property and then you've got to try and either get out of it or try and do work to it and well, that property there, I've, you know, had to do a few things when I first when I first bought like the this is probably just unlucky really the remember the the oven stopped working for him in the first month or two and they had to repair a fence and 
the garage, the roller door and the garage broke as well. Like it was all in the space of the first three months. And I was like, oh, this is a disaster. I bought this, you know, property that needs all this work. But luckily enough, again, like, cause I, the first lesson I learned, I had cash buffers in place to be able to do all the work. So got all that done. And then since that date, I've had nothing to do. And that's, you know, been four years now where I've, you know, haven't had any other issues with it. And the same tenants have been there from day one. So it just goes to show you too, if you're, you look after your tenants and you, you do that, you know, as soon as those items come up, I said, yeah, okay, I'll fix the oven, I'll fix the fence, I'll fix the garage door. And since then, they've been happy. They've paid the rent on time. They're happy with the increases we put in place as the rents have gone up around the area too. So, yeah, it's definitely important to look after your tenants as well. In a future episode of Property Investory, we'll continue to explore Liam Carmody's journey. We'll dive into the details of his strategy. Uh, look, I was wanted to build a like a, a decent asset base for like in residential to start with, um, and then just sort of have that as a like a long term buy and hold to then use that as leverage to then get into like more active investing later on. How we transition to being a buyer's agent? I've known the person that runs a business for quite a while now. Um, just sort of loosely just through just being involved in property really and investing. The resources that he used to find success in property investment. I used to watch that every week which was um, that was great because there was a lot of experts that had come on each week and you'd sort of be able to see each person's perspective and they all had different you know attitudes and areas that they invested in. And that's next time on Property Investory. If you love the show, perhaps you're now ready to invest your money in a low-risk, high-return deal. If you are, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a lender. There are amazing opportunities in the property market right now and I'm looking for lenders who want to invest their money for as short as 6 months. What are you waiting for? Don't let your money just sit in the bank. To register your interest, Text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.